He's cute. He's meow meow. Meow meow. Mm, that's not. We're not. Okay. We're not doing that. Uh, all right. I'm going to start the podcast and you're going to have to like, okay. like I'm going to start this train going and you're going to have to jump on like a hobo just outside <laughs> the train yard. Um, all right. Are you ready? Oh, we did. Yep. We did all the, are you ready? That's it's just me now. listener and welcome to michael and ethan in a room with scotch i'm your host ethan bartlett and this is my guest michael lilienthal you don't get to talk meow meow to you you definitely don't get i was gonna do the you don't get to talk thing already and then you just like rubber stamped it with a seal of waxy approval um the stamp was made out of wax to... and rubber, so don't anybody <laughs> worry about it, especially Michael. Uh, I... Hi. We're going to talk about books, but not about scotch. Uh, this is the fourth episode, and Michael has spent three episodes now not taking one for the team, so if uh, we get to the end of this one and no one takes one for the team, especially Michael... Uh, then we both get punished. So look forward to that. Um, That'll if, be fun. If you don't know right. what I'm talking about, you're listening to episode four, or part four, rather, first, and you should probably go back and listen to parts one, two, and three, which probably matters less, if mm -hmm. we're being honest, for this book than, like, almost any it's other book we've right. ever done. Uh, but you should probably mm -hmm. still do it. Um, but anyway... Karen's going to read the rules. <laughs> Rule one. Once the scotch is poured and the glasses clink, the scotch must not be mentioned at any time. If anyone mentions it, they lose. Rule two. No one's mother should be mentioned in any pejorative sense or any other sense not directly indicated by the text of the book being discussed. If any mothers are mentioned, the mentioner loses. Rule three. Ethan must never say the phrase, first paragraph. If he does, he loses. Rule four, Michael must never say the words vampire, vampiric, or any derivative thereof. If he does, he loses. Rule five, if anyone has to use the bathroom during an episode, he or she loses. However, this should not stop anyone from doing so because this podcast is anti-UTI. Rule number six, the wives are entitled to one glass of scotch or some equivalent beverage. Rule number seven. If four scotch-centric episodes pass with no losses, then everyone loses. And what happens if someone breaks the rules? If one person breaks a rule, they receive a punishment in the form of a verbal stunt chosen by the person who did not break the rule. All that being said, everyone, drink responsibly. Yeah, Ethan. Yeah, Michael. Gentle, Gentle listener. listener. Thanks, Karen. 
Uh, Michael, she wasn't pleased at the way you laughed at her when she came into the room. Uh, so <laughs> oh, like, no. I've displeased Karen. Yeah, I feel like you you lost for that, but you're probably going to disagree with me about that. I will. Oh, anyway, I, I forgot to introduce... Wait, okay, we haven't cleaned glasses. We're good. I forgot to introduce nope. the scotch before Karen read the rules, so, like, <laughs> this is what happens when I don't look at the script and also when I do look at the script. Um... We are drinking Lagavulin single malt scotch whiskey, the Offerman edition finished in Guinness casks and aged 11 years. Uh, it has a quote on the label that says, I have traveled the world and sampled many attempts at pleasing nectars, but it is solely this distillation of Isla, a tiny charismatic Scottish isle that has claimed my palate, yea, and my heart into the bargain. Which feels both like not something Nick Offerman would say and also absolutely like something Nick Offerman exactly would say. Exactly what he would say. Yeah, um, it's like that beautiful, beautiful little... Yeah, just like just like drop a little you bit of I mean. a, an archaism in there uh, just yeah. to throw the rest of us off. Um, I've also noticed that like... Actually, Michael, I would like you to, to look at your bottle... On my bottle, so yep. uh, sort of above that quote on the far left of the label, there's like a little mm -hmm. like bar relief thing, like sort of indents in the label. Do you Is have that a... also? Yep. It's a dragon, I think. Oh, you're seeing it as a dragon. I was just assuming Something. it was like the impression of what the, griffin? the Isla Islands look like. Oh, I guess that could be. I'm seeing, no, well, I don't know. I'm seeing like a, a medieval... Like on a coat of arms. Oh shoot! Yeah. Dragon. Okay. No, I see that. Um, and I. Okay, to me, it's now looking like the Welsh dragon, which doesn't make any sense. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, nope, that wouldn't make any sense at all. But yep. Okay. Nope. The Welsh dragon is horizontal. This dragon is vertical. I'm just googling the phrase Scottish dragon. Well, if just you're to see. if you're drinking the scotch, the bottle would be horizontal and so the dragon would be horizontal. Oh, I was going to so. catch you what we haven't clanged glasses yet. Um, we haven't. See, I can do this. Okay, no. Okay. So I'm looking up what does it say? Okay, the royal banner of Scotland, the dragon is vertical. And like, <laughs> okay, no, this dragon is like almost identical to that. That's so cool. Okay. We could have gone seven cool. episodes without noticing that. Um, mm -hmm. This, like, bottle, and even, like, the box it came in, which is, like, six feet away from me right now, so I can't get it and look at it, but, like, it's very cool. Just the design is, like, it's very, very cool. cool. Like, if you open mm -hmm. the top flap, there's, like, a cool thing. Yep. I remember, I can't remember what it is, but it's cool. It's, well, it looks like Nick Offerman and his dad beating on a Guinness cask. Um, oh, and it's got, it's got that dragon on their aprons, their, their little aprons. I cannot see it because your background you. is like, oh, there we go. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. There. And it's like hard yep. to tell if that's Nick Offerman and his dad or just like two Scottish distillers because like <laughs> they look very, they all look very similar probably. Right. Oh shoot! The, the There's a dragon. I'm on the... pretty sure it's him and his dad because it says, "If I succeed, it's because I aspire to be half the worker my dad is." Ugh. Oh yeah, and there it is, right on yeah, the side on of the, the box side. in gold. That the, same dragon. The dragon. Woof. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna skip right past. 
that dad quote making me cry and we're gonna go into uh doing our salute because like real men instead of feeling our feelings we drink our whiskey that's how we do uh my wife is across the room but still in her headphones like she didn't hear this which i can tell because she didn't like audibly cringe when i said that <laughs> anyway uh slancha skunk all right and for the last time uh what feels like too soon almost um we are talking about the book i am a cat uh mm -hmm. by soseki natsumi um i have one thing i want to do then i have one thing that i want you to do michael and then we can kind of yeah. depending on how much time we have we can kind of do whatever after that um great so that's extremely specific and uh organized structure of of the next hour ish of this podcast um love it okay so i want to talk about something that may seem out of left field and it may seem out of left field for a little while while i talk about it uh i'm gonna try to tie it into this book and if i fail okay uh you can punish me except you can't because it's not <laughs> no. in the rules um okay should be excuse me I want to talk about the concept of leisure. Um, mm. Now, I partly am thinking about this because I just read a book that is, like, pretty new. Like, I think it's been released for a couple of weeks at the time that we are recording this podcast. Um, and the book is called You Are Not Your Own. It's by uh, one Alan Noble. Um and it's released through InterVarsity Press, which um, some of our listeners may recognize as sort of a, a evangelical Christian publishing house. Um, and, you know, we try to not take this podcast, like, too preachy or too religious, except where, like, the texts involved uh, sort of point us to that. So I'm not going to, like... I'm not going to make, I'm not going to do any altar calls. You know how podcasts do altar calls where it's like they tell everyone to come to Jesus and then there's like 10 minutes of podcast silence while they wait for you to do mm -hmm. it. We're not going to do that. Um, but something that I encountered in this book uh, resonated with I Am A Cat for me and even with Tristram Shandy, it will shock everyone to learn. Um and I want to say, like, full disclosure, I have a connection with Alan Noble. Uh, he co-founded a website called Christ and Pop Culture, um, which I personally describe as, like, one of the few moderate evangelical, sort of consistently moderate evangelical voices from the last, you know, 10 to 15 years, um, sort of in American discourse. Uh, and... I wrote for them, I wrote six columns for them, 
that came out, I want to say, over the course of, like, 15 weeks. It was supposed to be a weekly column, uh, but that, I think, was sort of the the rate that I produced at. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I we parted ways because I said to them, I'm not good at this, and <laughs> I'm sorry. And they said, yeah, that's cool. Um, so, you know, no hard feelings there or anything, but, like, this is just in the interest of full disclosure. Okay. So, You Are Not Your Own, subtitle is Belonging to God in an Inhuman World. Um, and, you know, again, the belonging to God section is maybe outside of the scope of this podcast, but, uh, the idea of the inhuman world dovetails a lot with things we've talked about in the last few episodes of this podcast, especially when we're talking mm-hmm. about the collision of sort of a an Eastern aesthetic, not an aesthetic, but like a philosophy of contemplation and stillness versus a Western aesthetic or philosophy of uh, individuality and, and uh, you know, uh, work and... Um, so forth. I feel like there are some other words I needed, but I couldn't couldn't find them. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this book, Noble talks about a concept of leisure that I actually first encountered earlier this year uh, at the online uh, science fiction convention called LaughCon, L-A-F-F-Con, um, which mm-hmm. was a convention devoted to R.A. Lafferty, uh, an author who has appeared on this podcast before. Um, Lafferty, of course, was a Catholic uh, science fiction writer. Um, And Lafferty, in his works, talked about the idea of leisure um, in a similar sense to which Alan Noble talks about it in this book. Um, And I'm going to quote... Uh, You Are Not Your Own, and hope that, uh, I believe he's a doctor, Dr. Noble uh, uh, forgives me. Um, So I'm going to quote this, and then then we'll see where we are on the other side of it. Uh, For modern people, leisure will often involve intentionally choosing not to use all the conveniences, options, technologies, and powers available to us. Uh, He quotes Jacques Ellul, a uh, anarchist Christian philosopher from the mid 20th century who says man will not agree rather man will agree not to do all he is capable of. Um, Hmm. We may think of leisure as doing whatever makes us most physically comfortable, but Christian leisure is a practice of delighting gratefully in God's creation without regard for what is easiest, simplest, or cheapest. Um, and here and also in Lafferty, as I understand him, the idea of leisure is, a re- it's, it's related to the idea of the Sabbath, but not the Sabbath in the way that like us American Christians influenced by like Puritanism and Calvinism think of it. It's not an idea of mm-hmm. taking away certain pleasures. It's the idea of, um sort of resting in like an absolute confidence in the rest without having to do anything else without the rest being to recharge to do a job later or to 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the the rest isn't like a working vacation or it's not like we're resting because this is the most efficient use of our time. It's just we're resting. This is really sort of a conceptual idea about this book and about Tristram Shandy and about the idea I introduced, I think, in our first episode of the series about the idea of, like, the novel about nothing or the book about nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, because I personally, like, I obviously love to read. It will probably shock everyone to learn. But I tend, like, you know, ever since I was in high school, maybe even before that, I've always kept a list of the books I read every year. And, like, in high school, I was always able to get to 100 easily. Um, And same thing in graduate school, which was, like, I was getting paid to read all day, basically. So it's, like, you know, shocking that that was a thing. But it's, like since graduating you know i've fluctuated a lot if i if i do below 50 books in a given year i like i hate myself um if i get to 70 i'm like that's okay but really my secret goal is always 100 uh in my adult life it hasn't always you know been Hmm. feasible um but like to me, even the way I think about that, you know, it, it obviously affects, like, okay, what's the next book I'm going to read? Is it going to be, like, uh, the 1,100-page all-time classic? Um, uh, wait, shoot, what it's called? What's it called? The Book of Genji? The Tale of the Genji. The Tale of Genji, yeah. You know, is it going to be that, or is it going to be, like, the seven much shorter books I could read in that same space of time? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it, this kind of thinking, like, affects what books I choose to read and how I choose to read them. Um, you know, in a way that's, in the in that books might be considered a leisure activity or should be considered a leisure activity, like... Mm-hmm it's it's almost the opposite of that and i think part of my adoration for i am a cat and for tristram shandy and for the rare books you know that i find comparable to them um is the fact that like the content of them almost forces leisure like these books almost force me into leisure into this posture of uh just sort of taking delight in the moment or, mm. you know, not worrying about, like, what the next thing is or what I'm getting out of something. Um, yes. In the sense that, like, even though I'm progressively reading through them, like, the content of them is just this this settling down. There's not, like, a plot that I have to be tracking. Mm-hmm. And, like, as you've shown in these episodes, Michael, especially, like, you know, there are certainly themes and connections that can be made, but, like, it's very different from, like, oh, I'm spending this time getting to this point. It's like I'm spending right. this time almost dwelling in something mm-hmm. uh, that almost forces me to uh, come out of myself or or rest in a certain sense. Are, um, are, are yeah. you... F- familiar with um mo willems the uh he's a 
he's a children's author. Um, he he writes the pigeon books, like Don't Let the Pigeon Drive the Bus, um, the Elephant okay. and Piggy books, um, There's a Bird on My Head, stuff like that. Um, sure. Nuffle Bunny, Naked Mole Rat are in his stuff. He he has a book that's specifically designed um, for like newborns or, or new additions to the family. It's called Welcome. And it's okay. set up, it's almost like Hitchhiker's Guide esque sort of introduction material to here's life, and here's what you can expect, and all these things. Um, so like it's got a page like cats. We expect that you will encounter cats. This is not a cat. This is a picture of a cat. We expect you will encounter both real cats and pictures of cats, and like so seeing the pond pipe, right? Um, but there's there's a a a, a segment of that book um, where it's talking about you know what you're going to learn you're going to learn all these things and you're, you're teaching me too i'm learning too and it says for example in the short time that we've spent reading this book together you have taught me to stop and be um <laughs> and so like that's that's what that's all reminding me of just like we don't need the plot of the book we just sit and dwell on it we sit and look at it and are in it in that right that rest idea yeah yeah which could like lead into you know uh one of our infamous genre discussions which we mm-hmm. touched on a little bit last episode like is this a mm-hmm. is this a novel is this a platonic dialogue right is it something else that's uniquely japanese or uniquely you know buddhist or 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 something you know or Taoist even or something mm-hmm. um which i don't feel like we need other than yeah. to just sort of point out that that question could be there mm-hmm. it's a kid's uh, book that's what it is <laughs> yeah this seems like a book you'd give a child yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what it is yeah no i don't think we um, need to deal with the genre question of no. it too much it's I mean, it would, it, especially at this point in the discussion, it would be an into a discussion. I don't yeah. feel like it's an out to a discussion. No. Um, that said, okay, so we did the thing I want to do this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only other thing I want to do about I Am a Cat uh, is just to say, Michael, I know you had alluded to, maybe even in the first episode, uh, having written down some discussion questions. Mm-hmm. Did we do all of your discussion questions, or are there any more that you want to get to? We we did all of my discussion questions. The um like in the midst of the discussion questions, I also have some notes and things written down. And one of those notes has to do with a um a sometimes segment on the show, uh, our names with Michael segment. That was the other thing I was going to ask you if you mm-hmm. had prepared to uh, save me from the fact that I have nothing else prepared. <laughs> well, now you've let the cat out of the bag, so. Well, he was he was out there thinking he was the emperor anyway, so it's, true. it's okay. It's true. <laughs> um, so I've got a couple, just a couple notes on Names with Michael. I, I didn't go too terribly deep into depth on this, but... Um, so just some of the I mean, characters. as we've yeah, we've noted before, it's like 
with books in translation, it's especially difficult because mm-hmm. it's like how much, how many of the names are like choices that a translator has made versus yeah. an original author and so on and so forth. And in some sense, it like doesn't matter. It might give right. you clues and ends to the text anyway, but um, that's just to say like you didn't need to go that into depth unless you really wanted no. to. Well, and that's, you know, that that's a question I had too about this is like were these names that sound so very Englishy um right were were those in Japanese just transliterated or were they translated then into English? Um but it doesn't really really matter too much. So I I just want to touch on some of the the big um characters that you see repeated here um singleman kid is one um who so he's the one who has this objection to individuality and sees that as the core uh problem that we talked about last episode and he's the single man so this individual um the the kid in there i'm not sure exactly how that relates too much besides that you know he's he might be a, a more youthful type character there's almost this um um uh, is it elihu energy from the book of job where like job his friends are all there like reprimanding him and giving him advice and stuff and then elihu the young one finally speaks up and that's like where singleman kids rant comes from that we talked about last time like he's listening to everybody else talk he's like guys it's this um right he needs to jump in that way. So I, I maybe that's where that comes from. Uh, that's that's about all I have to say about him. Um, Cold Moon is the sensitive artist type, mm. and so he's he's you know kind of moony, you know, <laughs> in, okay, in those sure. attitudes. Uh, the the cold aspect to it, I I think that's a difference between West and East. Um, you know, we would think of a Cold Moon as being maybe unfeeling. I think. It's a little different in an Eastern sort of sense that it's the cold moon. So that's, you know, it's a more romantic sort of image there. Um, so he embodies that. Sure. Is um, he also the one that uh, is, they try to set him up for marriage? Yes. Uh, and he does get married by the end. Yeah, that's right. Um, Duh. Because, yeah. yeah, we talked about that last right. episode. Right. Um. He's also Which the one just that the also, cat mistakes for the burglar. Um, or does he? Or does he? Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, that whole that whole thing. Um, Waver House uh, is the esthete uh, and the one who just criticizes everything. So he's sure. wavering. His house is, is wavering. It's not built on any foundation um it's just i'm just i'm just a cynic i'm gonna criticize everything is is waiver house um so there's that aspect and then the last one that i i wanted to mention is sneeze himself sneeze i i wasn't sure why the name was there when i first started reading but i think i figured it out because he's a misanthrope (laughs) right uh he's just always kind of talking bad about everyone and in Japanese literature, like old wives' tales type things, if you sneeze, it's because someone has spoken bad about you. Oh. Interesting. So I think that's 
directly the connection here. He is the sneeze. He is the one who is talking bad about people. And sure. So the sneeze is is there connected with that. I only know that because of uh, the Roroni Kenshin manga. <laughs> so. Sure. sure. Well, like my wife, you're much more conversant with Japanese culture for having, uh, uh, for being familiar with manga and anime. Sure, sure. Just something that, other than Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, I am not super conversant in. I mean, what more do you need? Just. <laughs> <laughs> So that's, well, and just, it struck me as interesting, too, that these names seem so deliberately descriptive of something. Um, Right. Well, and, you know, there's a wrinkle in there, too, with um, Beauchamp, um, who's, that's a French-sounding name. I mean, it is French words. It means beautiful road. I'm not sure what that means, though. That one I didn't delve too much into. But, like, so there has to be something deliberate there, and that's the one that made me think... Maybe it's not the translator's choice um, if you've got these English-sounding names and then here's Beauchamp. Or maybe it's a combination. It could be that, too. Um, it could be a combination, but it could also just be like, you know, if you had some names in Japanese that had English uh, mm-hmm. connotations to them, and then you had a French connotation, or sort of like Master of the House in um, Les Miserables, mm-hmm. if, if it's just like... The English connotations mean a certain thing, and the French ones mean a different thing. Mm-hmm. If the French is supposed to be more pretentious or more mm. educated or something like that, I mean, sure. we're just sort of a uh, like the blind man peeing into the wind who said, "It's all coming back to me." Oh, <laughs> uh, anyway, um, <laughs> so but with not with to deride the... your whole segment. Really. Oh. All the, the these names that are there with this, it ha- it seems like it has to be deliberate in some degree. Uh, it uh-huh. strikes me as all the more significant that the cat never has a name. Right. Which, as yet, I have no I, name. <laughs> which is true right up until the last page, all the way through. Right. That he right. never has a name. Um, which serves to make the cat kind of an everyman character. You know, sure. he, since he doesn't have a name, any any cat or character can fit into him. Right. Um, which makes him the perfect narrator in some ways that right. the reader can fit in and observe right along with him pretty easily. Um, so. Yeah. And, I mean... You know, as we come to the end here, mm-hmm. uh, it's it seems fitting to focus back on that last page a little bit. Uh, mm, yes. You mentioned it, I want to say in episode two, episode one or two, uh, the 470, the very last page of this edition, mm-hmm. um, uh, the first full paragraph, the third paragraph from the end. While this was going on, and despite the constant pain, I found myself reasoning that I'm only in agony because I want to escape from the jar. I guess trigger warning for anyone who listened to this whole series of episodes because they love cats. Um, (laughs) And spoiler alert for anyone who, like, didn't take our advice to read it before now. Okay, all of you people are gone? 
the cat dies. Yep. Like the cat dies in the last page or so. Yep. Um, but Michael, you quoted that that sentence already. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the context of sort of a Buddhist, uh, yep. um, pain comes only from desire, I guess, idea. Uh, right. He, and then the rest of that paragraph, he'd like just in, in sort of pretty explicit detailed mm-hmm. description describes how, you know, what it, he is. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a family podcast, so I'm not going <laughs> to say what, uh, and then second paragraph from the end, I'd better stop. I just don't care what happen ne- happens next. Uh, I, then he says the decision made, I give up and relax. Um, and then the last paragraph, which is the one I really wanted to focus on. Gradually, I begin to feel at ease. I can no longer tell whether I'm suffering or feeling grateful, which feels very Buddhist and very uh-huh. like Zen. Uh and then he says no i can't actually say that i feel at ease either i feel that i've cut away the sun and moon they pull at me no longer i pulverize both heaven and earth and i'm dripping off in a way into some unknown endlessness of peace uh i'm dying egypt dying which is i don't know where that sentence comes from um unless the cat listened to our first podcast where we speculated about or our first episode of this series where we speculated about a plague of cats on Egypt and how right. that wouldn't be anything. Um, <laughs> I, I guess I like, I don't know if it's like, you know, a song, a, a line from a popular song or something. Um, mm. it, it feels like that. I don't, I, I have no reason to claim that it is. Uh, through death, I'm drifting slowly into peace. Only by dying can this divine quiescence be attained. That sentence feels very Hamlet-y. May one rest in peace. I am thankful. I am thankful. Thankful, thankful, thankful. Um, It feels very much like it uh, reflects back on, you know, some of this uh, page 458 stuff about Nietzsche, which, as we connected to, you know, earlier, uh, reflects back into, like... Certainly this volume, if not some of the other stuff in in uh, some of the earlier volumes. Um, you know, the, the East, we have always uh, devoted ourselves not to material progress, but to development of the mind. Uh, this cat's like exercising his mind to make this experience of death sort mm-hmm. of nothing or sort of a, a less unpleasant. Yep. Um I don't know. Uh, there's there's probably some it, other connections. That there, well, I'm there is uh, in on the same page. Out there. Uh, on the same page, what you um, read last episode too, uh, that uh, Singleman says, by then, of course, it will be too late to do anything more than recognize our likeness to addicted alcoholics who wish they'd never touched the stuff. The whole reason he's stuck in here is because he drank beer. Oh. <laughs> um, yes, <laughs> and like it's, it's wow. It's, yeah, I can't believe I missed that. Honestly. Like, and, and he says that on page 468, um, the 
end of the first full paragraph. If drinking beer poisons my entire intestines, well, yes. that will be just too bad. But if, like Sampai, I grow so cheerful as to forget everything around me, then I'll accept the experience as an unexpected joy. And even perhaps I'll teach all the cats of the neighborhood how sweet it is to drown one's woes in drink. Anyway, let's take a chance and see. So there's this openness of what could this be, good or bad? I don't know. Let's experience it and find out. And then at the end, he's left with that. The, the the decision to decide whether it's good or bad is starkly put in front of him in a way that he didn't really expect. And so he's got to make that choice right there. Is this good or bad? And that's right. him exercising his mind to make it um, a good end. So, right. um, and that's so like the very last line here, um, only by dying can this divine quiescence be attained. May one rest in peace. I am thankful. I am thankful, 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 thankful. Um, so, you know, it's unclear whether he's suffering or feeling grateful at the beginning of that paragraph. And then at the end, he's saying over and over, thankful, thankful, thankful. Is this a conclusion that he's come to, or is he trying to convince himself at the end? Or is it Saseki saying, thank God I finally killed Sherlock Holmes and I don't have to write <laughs> any more of these freaking anymore. stories anymore. Yes. <laughs> Except Saseki, much smarter than Arthur Conan Doyle, gave uh, his cat an unequivocal, mm-hmm. you know, drowning end rather than like an ambiguous, like, Reichenbach Falls nonsense. Yep. Uh, yeah. Not to relitigate whether Conan Doyle actually wanted to kill off Sherlock Holmes or not. Like, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is there anything else you wanted to say about this book before we uh, achieve our own quiescence upon it, Michael? Just the brief note that, you know, we we talked a lot about the influences on this book and this book in the context of other books, especially um, Tristram Shandy. Um, sure. But so like it, it made me wonder what Sos- Soseki was like without those, I don't know, burdens that baggage attached to it. Um you know, and and what value this book has apart from all of that, which I think we did talk about a good deal, um, the value mm. of this book separate from it being, you know, the Japanese version of Tristram Shandy, <laughs> which it's not. Sure, yeah. But, like, um, there, there's always that sort of cloud looming over it. But from the introduction to the book, I understand that um, Soseki was uh, one of the greatest prose writers uh of his time right um and that he's he wrote a lot of other things uh that had critical acclaim and i i'm interested in in what those are like yeah i am too i mean there's at least uh one of them in the back of at least my edition the book and then um by Soseki. Uh mm-hmm. yeah, I would honestly read literally anything else this man wrote. Mm-hmm. Um I'd really I'd love to know also his biography going forward. Uh I don't know. I I haven't read the introduction because I don't read introductions to books. Um but 
So I don't know if it says... Okay, it says he died in 1916. Mm. Um, Ten years after so, this book was done. Yeah, and uh, about a year before Japan technically entered World War One on the Allies' side, mm. uh, which is another wild historical Just, fact, you yep. know, knowing the history, you know, 30, 40, mm-hmm. 50 years in the future. Um, right. But... Uh, yeah, no, I, I honestly, I'd love to read anything else by this man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, does that excuse me? Kind of bring us to the, the end, then. It brings us to the point that nothing else I could say I think would contribute at least without being a, another hour long, you know, discussion. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Uh, I have the script here before me, and it says, ending the episode, punishments as necessary. Oh, boy. Now, Michael, uh, neither of us, especially you, decided to just take one for the team, in spite of the obvious vampirism of this book. Uh, so... I, I had that word written in the margins a couple places, but... Really? Weird. Weird, I know. Um... So I was wondering if you want to do uh, another Shakespeare race with me. Oh boy! So as if I, you as have I, a punishment I, for me I, that's like different, I, I do. I can, uh, and it's. I mean, it's I can come up with something else to this for you. Book. I mean, okay, my Shakespeare race was gonna be us doing what a piece of work is, man. Oh, uh, because we referenced that earlier. I think go ahead, do yours, and I'll okay. come up with a different one for you. Okay. All right. I, li- I like the Shakespeare race, but I, I, I had this one kind of... No, it's, it's I was fine. sitting on this one. So, um, it's right, fine. So if, you on... wanna, if you wanna sit on me for... Uh... <laughs> that's your punishment. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to preface this Wait, by... Wait, you said that's a punishment? <laughs> yep. Um, by, uh, I'm, I'm prefacing by reading uh, some of this book from page 82. Um, where, oh, is it Cold Moon and Waverhouse? And I, I think it's, it's Cold Moon, Waverhouse and Sneeze all talking. I'm not sure who starts it off. Um, but, uh, it, it starts third paragraph. My research has revealed that the first account of the employment of hanging as a deliberate means of execution occurs in the Odyssey, volume 22. The relevant passage records how Telemachus arranged the execution by hanging of Penelope's 12 ladies in waiting. I could read the passage aloud in its original Greek, but since such an act might be regarded as an affectation, I will refrain from doing so. You will, however, find the passage between lines 465 and 473. You'd better cut out all that Hellenic stuff. It sounds as if you're just showing off your knowledge of Greek. What do you think, Sneeze? On that point, I agree with you. It would be more modest altogether an improvement to avoid such ostentation. Quite unusually, my master immediately sides with Waverhouse. The reason is, of course, that neither can read a word of Greek. So your punishment, Ethan, I'm putting in the chat in our Google Meet. Um, I don't know how much, how familiar you are with the Greek alphabet and how it's pronounced, but... I know nothing. 
are those lines from the Odyssey, volume 22, lines 465 through 473. I would like you to read them in a dramatic fashion uh, the best way you can. Wait, what is the what is the reference? Uh, this is the Odyssey, volume 22, lines 465 to 473. Uh, when uh, Telemachus or Telemachus to is hanging the ladies in waiting. Yep. Okay. So as if you were blind Homer himself. <laughs> this would be a lot more convincing if you weren't so clearly delighted. <laughs> All right, let's see here. Andra moyeno mushape and mustropa oshmola podumnapro e ejabda novnapshobra polo morshupra widam mashtata mulyopta. Omlat Hugen, Mala Tabata Manel, Mudabarama. Our Numinos High Gary, some other ones. Alupto Ashtompudo, El Yinmanostad. Hotuan Bastapada, I don't know, Nopto. Mayoptul, O Karatan, Mudikios Nahal, Ashtianova. Ata Hotur Apil Mushdal Bara Tun Hamnupton Yatara Ninjupashra Sum 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 The letter Pi. <laughs> uh, do you want to know what I did? What did you Like, do? how did I do, first of all? No, no. What did you think, as someone who knows anything about ancient Greek? Not at all. Okay. Well, what I did was I punched in the reference you gave me, Odyssey Volume 22, uh, lines 465 to 473, and then original Greek recording. I punched that into YouTube, Oh. Uh, which gave me Homer, Odyssey, Rhapsody 1, audiobook spoken in reconstructed ancient oh my Greek. Oh, goodness. And then I just said the first minute or so of that as best I could along gotcha. with it. So it was not the text at all, but Got it was it. like as much as I could do in this 40 seconds of research I, I, towards I like was, speaking ancient Greek. I was noticing the, the, you know, some consistent phonemes and such in there. So that's, you know, that's good. That's because I can follow the um, audio. I'm, I'm probably going to put this link in like the show notes mm. and also hope that whoever does it is not very litigious. Um, <laughs> but like that, what you, what you were noticing was the fact that I could mimic the sounds for about the first half of a line. <laughs> and then because I was speaking over, like I couldn't hear the rest of it. Um, it. So... That's what that was. Very nice. Uh, all right, Michael. 
Yep. Are you pleased with yourself? Uh, so do you do you think that you're funny? <laughs> I don't know. Do I? Um, no. That's that's honestly up to you. Like oh, only okay. you can uh, uh, determine that. Um. All right. I'm gonna send you a link in our uh, meets chat here. Okay. Please click on the link and tell me if you're seeing what I'm seeing. Oh boy. Yes, I think I am. Lyrics. Are you seeing some lyrics? Yep. Alright. What I would like you to do, and you're allowed to call up music or accompaniment to this if you want. Um I'm not I'm not saying you should or should not either way. Uh I'm gonna set a one minute no one and a half minute timer okay. and what i would like you to do is uh recite for me perform for me as much of the lyrics to the classic Vil uh gilbert and sullivan song i am the very model of a modern major general yikes as you can Substituting at the end of every line oh, no. a synonym for whatever word is at the end of the line. <laughs> Does this make sense to you? Do I, you understand yes. what I'm asking? What? Yes, I think I get it. Okay, a synonym. All right. Uh, tell me when you're ready. <clears throat> All right. I'm ready. Go. I am the very model of a modern, modern major officer. I've information, vegetable, animal, and rocky stuff. I know the kings of England, and I quote the fights of ancient times from Marathon to Waterloo in order that is un a chart. <laughs> I'm very well acquainted, too, with matters of arithmetic. I understand equations, both the simple and foresighted about binomial theorem. I'm teeming with a lot of information with many cheerful facts about the square of the opposite side of the two right angled sides of a triangle with many cheerful facts about the square of that opposite side you can of the skip two. the course okay. if you want i am very good at integral and differential high math stuff i know the scientific <laughs> names of beings uh, that are um stuff with creatures in short in matters vegetable animal and rocky stuff i am the very model of a modern major officer in short in matters vegetable animal and rocky stuff he is the very model of a modern major officer i know our mythic history king arthur's and that other night i answer hard acrostics <laughs> i have a pretty taste for opposite but also true i quote in elegaics all the crimes of this ancient greek guy in conics i can floor peculiarities that are a big swinging chart. <laughs> I can tell undoubted Raphael's from Jared Dow's and other artists. I know the croaking. All right, from the that's front. the time. Yep. Okay. Gosh. <laughs> uh, I do have to say, yep. much as you were impressed with my phonemes that I cheated with, yep. um, I was pretty impressed at how like a lot of them you were either in the rhythm or like you did a rhyme. <laughs> Like, that was honestly better than I would like to admit it was. You're welcome. Like, not rhythm or, I, I guess, a meter, either way. Sure. Meter, rhythm, or rhyme. Like, 
frankly, doing one of those three things with the challenge I gave you was like pretty impressive, honestly. <laughs> uh, good. You're welcome. All right. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> um, all right. Moving on to ratings. Uh, we must rate the scotch. The scotch. So the scotch gets rated out of from one to five stars. Mm-hmm. Michael, what do you think of the scotch? Oh, this one's hard. Um, I, I think I'm going to give it a solid four. I, I'm okay. tempted to go higher. Um, I, I, the only reason I might keep it low is because it does seem a little youthful. Um, you know, with maybe some more age, I might like it more. But I, you know, I'm getting some really, really interesting tastes out of this. There's some floral stuff with the peat and everything. I mean, like, you know, sometimes there's some chocolate to a scotch. And this, I'm thinking, is very distinctly like a white chocolate, um, mm. which is interesting to me. Um, especially when I added a drop of water, I was getting like rose petals and white chocolate, which you know sounds mm. really romantic almost. But anyway, no, I'm I I I would drink this again in a heartbeat. Um, Lagavulin is great on any occasion. I just you know I want to see it aged a little more. All right. Uh, I'm gonna agree with you and yet rate the Scotch five stars. Whoa. Because uh, I agree that I'd like to know what the scotch tastes like in a, you know, 16-year, 18-year, 21-year expression. Mm -hmm. um, like, I'd love to know that. And in that mm -hmm. sense, I agree with you. But, like, this is just, like, it feels just like what I've always wanted from a scotch. Mm -hmm. Um all the scotch stuff is there, you know, the the peat, the smoke, the the other stuff. Um but like, you know, we did Lafori 10 on a relatively recent uh series of records. Excuse me. And I was like disappointed by how much the bottom fell out of it at the back end. Mm -hmm. Um whereas this one just like Every step of the way from the nose to the front to the middle to the back is like filled with interesting stuff. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is smoky, which of course trips all of oh, my yeah. triggers. Um, but then, yeah, I absolutely got like, I think not until I also added a glass or a, a, a glass, a drop of water, um, did I get the white chocolate, but I was getting chocolate mm. all the way through. Sure. Um, which I can only assume comes from. Uh, the the Guinness, the Guinness. Mm -hmm. cast, um, because and here we go with the Michael and Ethan bingo card. But Ethan mentions <laughs> going to Ireland. Like I always assumed that people who had been to Ireland who said the Guinness is better there were just like pretentious pieces of you know what, um, mm -hmm. which is what I say now instead of bleeping myself. Uh, but no, like the Guinness in. Ireland is legitimately better than the Guinness that gets, you know, transported over here. Um, people say it doesn't travel well as if it if, if it loses something. I don't know enough, you know, about it to know that. But, like, that chocolate note that you were getting, Michael, 
is mm -hmm. like the closest thing probably to what Guinness tastes like in Ireland that you'll mm -hmm. get until you go to Ireland. Um, and I'm speaking that truth into your life that, you know, you will get there. Um, but like, it's so good. I get the rose petals thing. It's mm. just like, it, it's like smoky, but without disappearing on me and chocolate and rose petals and like floral stuff. And there's some like herbal stuff. I just, and I fully admit, like, I'm going to say my five star rating is like me. Like if I were 17 and I were falling in love for the first time, like I'd fully admit that like what I'm saying is not objectively true or like not objectively everyone would mm. agree with it. But it's like it's giving me everything that I want from a mm -hmm. scotch. And just like for that reason, uh, I just have to give it five stars. Mm hmm. Uh, so that's my incredibly subjective, uh, first ever five-star rating. Nice. Uh, yeah. Michael, please rate the book on a scale of buy, borrow, or forget about it. I Am a Cat is a buy. Um, it's, it's a book that I am going to come back to, and... I'm going to experiment with just like picking a chapter and reading that chapter and sitting with in it just, you know, completely out of order. I don't care. I'll just flip to a random chapter and read it and just chill in that space for a little while and figure out what's going on. Uh, I think you need to have this book on yourself. <laughs> um, I completely agree. Also, I know that a book I've loaned you is, uh, Milan Kundera's book about the novel, hmm. uh, shoot, he wrote two about the novel, and I can't, like, remember which is which, um, oh, The Curtain, I think, is the book I'm thinking of. Um, I believe it's in the curtain that Kundera talks about uh, Musil's book, The Man Without Qualities. Um, and I think Kundera says, like, a similar thing about that book. Like, it's clearly the book that he, uh, that Kundera loves the most f from all time. Um, and I, I think it's an unfinished book, but... Kundera basically says, like, the next time I reread this book, I'm just going to read it, like, I'm just going to pick a chapter or even a page and, mm -hmm. like, reread it that way without paying attention to, like, the front cover to the back cover stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so that that's fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. uh, that said, I agree. I say bye, everyone who's, like, literate. Anyone who's, like, into the things that this podcast is into should buy this book and read it and then read it again. And, like, I don't care if you like it. 
Mm-hmm. You just should do the thing I said. <laughs> like, that's it. That's the recommendation. Um, I welcome fights regarding that, but, like, that's <laughs> that's what I'm going to say about that. Good. Uh, so, Michael, please rate the pairing of the book to the Scotch on a scale of perfect match, pretty good match, slight mismatch, total mismatch. I'm I'm vacillating between pretty good and perfect. Um, because there's so much going on in the Scotch and in the book, they both demand that you dwell on them uh, quite a good deal. I'm leaning more towards pretty good match. Um, only because I think those two things demanding all of your attention are getting themselves into conflict. Sure. If that makes sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I'm going to say perfect match, though, because of the parallels. Mm. Uh, like, the scotch, and I feel like I didn't do justice to even, like, the set of available flavors and interpretations of the scotch but like mm-hmm. there's so much going on and there's so much going on in this book that it's like they just seem to me to parallel perfectly mm-hmm. uh the other thing i'd the other justification i guess i'd give is like uh when some japanese i think businessmen i don't know for sure but, like, a group of Japanese people went to Scotland and, like, excuse me, uh, they sampled some scotches, like, drank scotch, fell in love with scotch, took all of the methods of making scotch back to Japan, and there are, like, several whiskey dis- distilleries in Japan that are basically making scotch, except they can't call it that because international agreements say only Mm -hmm. like scotch can only be produced in scott scotland so it's like whatever's going on in scotch and whatever's going on in japan are apparently so closely aligned that like that feels right Mm -hmm. and again that's like a very subjective thing i've said without proving but here we are Mm -hmm. uh all right that said um I don't know whose book goes first at this point. I think we're in the, in the rotation because we've been alternating after manga books. I think yeah. mine is next. Okay. So, Michael, why don't you introduce your book that we're going to read next? I will. Please. Uh, you should have a package that you received when you got home. Yeah, so. I did. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. I have resisted. Well, I resi- I opened it, and then I saw that the package said His Lordship Ethan of Bjartlet, and then I didn't open it anymore. Got it. Good. So well, I'm is, opening it now. This is a book that was recommended to me. I have not read it. Um, and so I am looking forward to seeing how it stands up. And this book is Snowflower and the Secret Fan by Lisa C. Um, I understand it was made into a movie not terribly long ago. Um, I think, I, I'm not sure if that m- movie is available in 
English, uh, like English, or I, it might just be Chinese. I don't know. But anyway, um, yes, here's the book. Snowflower and the Secret Fan by Lisa C. I don't I don't know much more about it. That's that's where we are. I mean, sure, that's great. So Uh cool. So that's what we'll read. Alright, Michael. And after that, Ethan, what are we gonna read? Uh after that, we're gonna read the book I should have sent to you. I'm for... opening it now. Oh no. The package addressed to Duke Michael Lilienthal, heir to the throne. Yes, good. Uh, I guess I'll uh, sort of throw it over to you, Michael. What are what package are you opening? What uh, is in the right. package? This is the book. Ah, the end of the affair by Graham Greene. Uh, have you read this book? I have not. Have you read anything by Graham Greene? I don't think I have. Okay. I don't think I have. Um, so I was going to do a different selection uh, for mm -hmm. our next one that I may yet do uh, in the future. Um, but I started listening to, or I started like, I looked for other book podcasts uh, for the mm. first time in a while, and there's a podcast called The History of Literature, um, and it's, uh, I, I've only listened to a handful of episodes, and they've all been about books I love, and like the episodes were very sort of loving and like well done, and I, I did like it. Um, the end of the affair, okay, so... What you may or may not know about Graham Greene is he's often considered a Catholic author. Mm. Um, and The End of the Affair is often considered a very Catholic novel. Uh, the host of the history of literature does not consider himself like a Christian or let alone a Catholic at all. Um, and his episode of about the end of the affair featured a guest who also was not this, but it was like, but like one of both of their favorite novels. Oh. Um, meanwhile, I went through a phase just in the heart of 2020, just in the heart of like the period of time where it was like, we're all in our houses and isolated forever. And I was like, what I could really use right now is an author who like, focuses on characters who are like isolated and having existential crises and like questioning both philosophically morally and religiously their place in the universe mm -hmm. um and often the conclusions are very dark i was like that's what i need right in the middle of 2020 yeah um and the end of the affair was like one of the four or five grand green novels that i read at that time mm -hmm. um and until I listened to this podcast episode, like, I had somewhat forgotten how this book affected me. Mm. Um, and I don't want to say a whole lot more than that, partly because I don't want to prejudice you, Michael, or the gentle listener about, mm. like, the effect of this book or anything else about it. Mm -hmm. Um, 
but yeah, I'm. Uh, it was like at the time, basically, there was this book and this. There was the end of the affair in this other book, and like I was like fifty one forty nine about which one to bring next, and I thought I had made the decision, and then this podcast episode like flipped me the three percent that it took. Um. So, uh, that's why we're doing this one, and I'm again I'm gonna not say too much else about it, uh, mm-hmm. but. Uh, yeah. And you said, Michael, you haven't read any other Graham Greene novels? I have not. That you know? Mm-mm. Okay. I, I, I'm familiar with the name, basically, and... Yeah. It's one that I've wanted to read. Sure. So. Well, don't worry, I have, like, seven other ones if you like this one. Great. That I can just loan you. Alright, sounds good. Alright. Um... So, that's it, gentle listener. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was that? What? 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 Okay. Okay, yep. good. Uh, till next time, please read along. Give us your feedback. Uh, read Snowflower and the Secret Fan by Lisa C. Read The End of the Affair by Graham Greene. Read I Am a Cat by Soseki Natsume. Uh, if you do any of those and give us your feedback, um, please go to the contact section of tapestryradio.org. Put st- Stotch Cock, Scotch Talk, either one really, okay. in the subject line. Hit us up at Room of Scotch on Twitter. Hit me up at Bjartlet on Twitter or Captain Stormfield on Instagram, all one word, lowercase. Michael, where can they find you on the social media? At M-G-L-I-L-I-E-N-T-H-A-L So no one composed your song, so you decided to do this? Is that what this is? It's, yep, so far. <laughs> okay. Uh, we'll do your homework. Uh, we'll do it bad. We want you to plagiarize us so we can laugh. You go to plagiarism jail. It's all good fun. Um, go to tapsradio.org slash scotchcast fill out the form we'll do our best we'll make it fun uh sorry about plagiarism jail if you like this podcast check out our other shows uh there's intermission our backstage audio drama podcast there's us play fiasco our real play fiasco rpg improv podcast there's freddy goes to a podcast where three grown men read through the freddy the pig uh children's literature from the last century series and then there's pokemon rollout uh please rate and review us on apple podcasts or google podcasts or amazon podcasts or podcast addicts podcasts uh or wherever you get your podcasts uh, because that's all that we've got really for advertising is like word of mouth and stuff. Yeah, it helps. Michael, anything you want to add? Not at this juncture. Very good. Until next time, just remember, it's our party and we'll cry if Grand Green makes us a second time. <laughs>
I mean, I didn't cry at the end of the affair. What are you talking about? Bye! Bye. Obscurantism and obfuscation. Orally observed, gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. Gentle listener. listener. Obviated objects of oblivion. Obambulating about. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. Offered unto you. In the Tapestry Radio Network. Tapestryradio.org. From From our our fancy fancy to to yours. yours.